Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds and reveal to us this morning in a fresh way how incredible your Son is. Lord, I pray that you would would open our understanding to appreciate his greatness, the awe and wonder of who he is, and it would cause us to bow before him in contrition and humility and to worship him because he is worthy of all worship and all praise and all honor. And it's in his name that we make this request before you. Amen. Uh, there was a TV show that, uh, that I saw a few years ago that I thought I was really intrigued by. Um, the show was called Undercover Boss. And uh, what would happen in that is the, the CEO or the owner of a company uh, would disguise himself, leave the executive office, leave the boardroom, and come uh, to the, the entry-level jobs in his company or her company and, uh, and they would get a look at the, the whole business from the ground up. They'd get a chance to work with, work under some of their, their lower staff even. And it would give them an opportunity and a perspective on their business that they couldn't get by virtue of the boardroom. And uh, in one of these episodes, um, there's a man uh, by the name of Ellis Jacob. And... Uh, here he is. Uh, he is the CEO of Cineplex Movie Theaters, a company that sells, are you ready, 70 million tickets a year. Uh, they boast 1,300 screens and 10,000 employees. In fact, uh, they are the fourth largest movie theater company in all of North America. So here is, uh, here is uh, Ellis Jacob, and, uh, but he's got to disguise himself now to go into his, several of his companies, and here's what he looks like. So he got rid of the mustache, he got a toupee, he got the uniform, the outfit that all of his staff that are in the theaters wear, and, and here he is, uh, he's a, a ticket taker, he, he's uh, working and helping with uh, kids programs, uh, little little kids. You know they have a theater and and they have part of the deal is you have a birthday party there. So kids crying and throwing food and and uh, he's doing stuff like making uh, making uh, candy uh, candy floss. He's he's cleaning the floor. He's learning how to to mop. And it, it, it's so funny when you watch the episode because. The, one of his gals is teaching him how to mop a floor, and she's all over him. No, you're not doing it right, and you've got to do it in an S pattern, or it'll get too much, and, and she's so frustrated with him, because he's not fast enough, and he's not doing a good enough job, and uh, so here he is. Um, he's one of, they call their employees cast members. They're cast, and he's one of the cast and uh, so he goes through this experience, and, and no one had uh, picked him out at all. And then at the end of the show, they do the big reveal, and they bring this, the staff members in, and they're going, oh, 
you know, did I do something wrong? And he has a chance to, uh, to commend them and whatnot. You know, when I thought about this show, I thought about some similarities to Christmas and the Christmas story. That Jesus is like, he is the ultimate boss. He, he's the big boss. He's in corporate headquarters, if you will, in heaven. And, and he is going to take on himself a new identity that we wouldn't recognize him as such. He's going to take on humanity. He's going to come to earth. He's going to grow up, be born and grow up from infancy, dependent on a mother and a father figure. And the people in his area, in his town, as he was growing up, didn't recognize that he was God. They just saw a little boy, a good little boy, uh, as he was growing up and, and, and began to work with his father and, and went through the, uh, through the marketplace, nobody said, oh, that's God. He lowered himself. He became one of us. And uh, he wore what all the commoners wore. He ate what they ate. Uh, he lived the lifestyle and, and, and uh, the way in their culture, the way they did. But it gave us a chance to see God up close. And it gave him a chance to come and experience what we experience. This is the Christmas message. When I think of bosses and I think of authority, I I recognize that they're all different levels of boss. You can be a boss of two people and that's your little team and you're the boss. You can be a, a middle manager and, and be responsible for a department in a company. Or you can be a CEO or owner of a multinational corporation. Uh, they're all different levels of being a boss. And, uh, but whatever you are as a boss, if you are one, pales in comparison to who Jesus Christ is. He is beyond comparison. In the book of Hebrews, uh, that was uh, most of the first chapter was read for us this morning, highlights the greatness of Jesus Christ, his superiority over everything. And I want to challenge you to read through the whole book of Hebrews this week. It's 13 chapters long, but read it. It's the superiority of Jesus. And allow that scripture to wash over you and understand who this Savior is that was born at Christmas. And uh, as we contemplate Christmas and the meaning and the significance of Christmas, um, I, I want us to hear from the author of Hebrews because he really wants us to understand who this boss is, and what he has done. And this boss brooks no rivals. And so I want to give you this morning a little profile of the boss. I want to give you a a little picture of who he is and what what he does. And uh, so I'm going to start uh, with the first description, and that is this. He has the last word. Jesus has the last word. His word is the final word. Um, his word trumps all other, other words. In, in Hebrews uh, 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. 
He's the final word. Uh, through the years, God chose to speak through prophets and whatnot. But, but beyond that, Jesus is the final word of God. He's the final authority. Uh, you know, you can, you can I, I was thinking of the United States and watching politics there, and I follow that with some measure of interest in, and how the president, the, the authority the president has. And he has counselors, and he has people that can inform him. Uh, but he, is, he makes the call. The last call is his. And he makes the, Jesus doesn't need any counselors. But he has the last word. When he speaks, it's the final word. And he comes with that kind of authority. He doesn't need anybody else. He says what it is, and that is it. He can appeal, you can appeal to no one higher than him. He is, he and has the last word. Uh, secondly, Jesus is the heir to the universe. He's the, he is the heir of everything. God has bequeathed to him everything. The whole universe is his. The, his ownership of it, it all belongs to him. And in uh, Hebrews 1, it says this. Jesus, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things. Everything belongs to him. You want to talk about the top boss. You want to talk about the upper echelon. The whole universe is his. Even in, in chapter uh, 2 of Psalms, in that, that great uh, uh, chapter about the anointed, uh, it says, ask me and I'll give you, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Everything is his, not just the nations. The whole universe is his. Thirdly, Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. It says in um, uh, verse 2, and through Jesus, through whom he also made the universe. He created everything that is. It doesn't get bigger than that. John tells us in John 1.3 that everything is created by him and anything you see has been made by him. Nothing that has been made exists apart from his making. That includes not just tangible things. We're talking time and space. We're talking authority. All of those things. He is creator of everything. Now, if he's the creator of everything... You don't, you don't get higher than that. That means all of us owe our existence to him. And that means he possesses creative rights over everything that is. I don't know whether you thought about that, but you don't have a right to your own body. You don't have a right to your own self outside of him. He possesses as creator. He possesses the right to you and to everything that exists in the universe. Not only is the creator, he's also the sustainer. So Jesus as sustainer, uh, it says in verse 3 this, he sustains all things by his powerful word. Have you thought it's, it's one thing to create, but who keeps everything in order? Uh, when, when we think of our planets in their orbit, when we think of the stars and, and how, they, how they move in their own orbit. Um, what keeps them from going off course and colliding? What, what keeps everything in that kind of orderly way? It's Jesus. Jesus, who is 
uh, sustains and keeps everything. He, he maintains its operation. Uh, it, it keeps going because he keeps it going. It stays in its course because he keeps it in, his, in its course. And not only does he do that for planets and stars and all of that kind of thing, that's on a macro level, but on a micro level, uh, at, a, at a, uh, uh, an atomic uh, level, here we have little electrons whizzing around a nucleus. In, in fact, the hydrogen, the hydrogen atom, uh, the, new, the, the electrons go about 2,200 uh, 2, kilometers an hour. Bzzz. Who keeps them from, from flying apart? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who keeps everything in order. He sustains it. Um, who keeps things from flying off course. Let me ask you, in your life, do you recognize him as the one who sustains you? He gives you breath, and you take it in, and he takes that breath, and he gives you another breath, and he takes it. And someday, he gives a breath, and he takes it, and he doesn't give another one. Do you recognize that your whole life is dependent upon him? You may not acknowledge it, but he is the one who sustains all of the universe. He's the one who sustains your life. He's the one who keeps you alive. He's the one who has a timetable and a purpose for your life. He keeps you alive. And we don't, I think we don't fully appreciate how dependent we are on God. We, we think that everything is in our control. We think by, by a, a good diet and, and by a carefully, a careful exercise and all of these things that we can keep ourselves fine and good. He controls everything and he puts parameters even on our lives. And he accomplishes his word. He declares it and he has the power to fulfill it. Do you realize how great he is? Well, Jesus is next. He is fully God. Jesus is fully God. In verse 3, it says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What is God like? Have you thought about that? What, what, is, what is God like? I mean, he's a spirit being. He's unchangeable, but he's out there and, and kind of untouchable to us, seemingly. And then along comes Jesus, and it says of him that he is the radiance of God's glory. All the beauty of what, who God is is resident in Jesus. And it says he's the exact representation of God's being. Jesus possesses the all the embodiment of what God is. He is fully God. So that when we see Jesus, we see God. In John 1 verse 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. And we're going, you know, if you read this for the first time and you didn't know what was going on, who is this word? What is this word you're talking about? This word, he, he was, in the beginning, he was existing and, and he was with God and he was God. Who he is? Who is he? And we go down to verse 14 and, and the mystery is solved for us. 
The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word is Jesus who came and took upon flesh, took upon humanity. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The Apostle Paul would say in Colossians 2 and verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Jesus, at the the time just before he was going to the cross, uh, in John chapter 14, uh, Philip says, asks Jesus. He, he makes a request of Jesus. He says, Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied with that. And I can imagine Jesus kind of going, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything the Father is, Jesus was and is. And so here he is, the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being. This is the, the ultimate boss. He is God. Well, sixthly, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior. Look in verse 3. It says this. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This boss, this ultimate boss who came to earth, came with a purpose of being a savior. He came with a heart for us. He came with a plan for us. He came on a mission for us. And it's what is so unique about him is he came to provide purification for sins And then he sat down. You know, you don't have to look very far in in the media today to realize that our world is in a total mess. It's always been in a mess. Our our world is under the curse of God for its rebellion against him. Uh, It's it's in terrible shape. And, And as it's the result of our sin. It's a result of our waywardness and our rebellion against God that we said, we don't need you. We're going to do our own thing, our own way, and we have messed it up terrible, uh, terribly. And all you have to do is, is look on the news and, 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 and see the, the awful things that are happening day in and day out everywhere. Things that happen in our life, awful things that happen, things that, that we don't even uh, invite. And, and, and Jesus as boss provided a way through his death, to purify us from sins. You see, the sin is that which separated between us and God. Sin is what brought God's judgment upon us. Sin is what caused, brought death to us. And and all of these terrible things that have happened that separate us and ruin our lives and hurt us and others and bring death and devastation. He said he came to achieve for us purification from sins. You know, people go, and, and we're all aware of the terrible things that we do. Uh, we're sometimes trying to live w- with, uh, with the results of our sin and the guilt of our sin, and we don't know how to deal with that. We don't know how to get rid of that. And, and uh, Jesus came to purify us, to cleanse us, to wash away our sin through his death in our place, to, to, so there would be no more condemnation for us. 
Only he could provide that. Only he could purify us. Only he could forgive us. We can go to therapists and counselors and, 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 and that can be helpful. But there's some things in our heart that only he can deal with. Only he can uh, uh, fix in our lives through his sacrifice and through his resurrection from the dead. And it says he sat down at the right hand of majesty. There he is in the position of power and authority at the right hand of majesty, of of God the Father. Why isn't he up and working? As we look through the, the Old Testament and see the how people were dealing with their sins. It was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And, and, and it could never be fully finished. Because there was all more sin, more sin. And Jesus offered his life once for all as a sacrifice for sins that would never have to be repeated, that would be absolutely uh, efficacious, that would cleanse us And all these other attempts, when they've failed, Jesus would accomplish that. We would be forgiven and cleansed. We would have a clear conscience. We would be invited to be a part of his family. No more guilt. No more sorrow. And ultimately, he would bring us to be with him. He is our Savior. He is our Rescuer. the, The author of Hebrews goes on and says, Not only is Jesus our Savior... But I want you to know his greatness with response, with respect to the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. Um, some of us may be under the misconception of what an angel is really like. Um, we've seen cherubs, little kind of naked, chubby little cherubs with wings and harps and flying around and, and uh, kind of effeminate looking. And that's not the picture that we have of angels in the Bible. In fact, most times that, that an angel has appeared, it's been an awesome and fearful thing. People shudder. They fall to the ground. In fact, they think it's, they think it's God. Uh, and and they're, so, they're so frightened and concerned. And the authors want us to know, the author wants us to know that as mighty and as awesome are these messengers of God, uh, they are hugely inferior to Jesus. And the whole book, I said, is about the superiority of Jesus. And so his argument here is he's, he's superior to the angels. It's funny, Jesus, as the Son of God, created the angels. And he goes on to say this in, in verse 4. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. He is superior to the angels. In what way is he superior? Well, he's superior because of his relationship. Uh, Look at verse uh, 5, the next verse. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Nobody. He is the son He has a different designation. His relationship to God, being God, the Son of God and God, puts him in a totally different category than these created beings, these angels. Uh, Secondly, he's greater because Jesus is worshipped by angels. In verses 6 and 7, it says this. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. 
And speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. They're servants. They serve God. They serve uh, Jesus Christ. And, and, but he says that's, that's not how it is. They're called and they're instructed to worship him. Do you know, every time that you see a Bible, uh, in the Bible that you see an angel, most often the response is to bow before them because they're, they're fearsome. Sometimes they're glowing. Sometimes they're just powerful beings. And, and people fall before them. And, and if you read through, it says, hey, they say, no, don't worship me. Get up. Get on your feet. You worship God only. And the father instructs the angels. He says, when he, when he brings him into the world, he says, uh, I make the angels of God uh, bow down to worship you. They worship him. And if you look through uh, the, the book of the Revelation, you'll see the experience and the expression of Jesus and, and the Father being worshipped by all the highest ranking angels, falling before them in worship. Well, this, this big boss, this ultimate boss, Jesus, is worshipped by angels. And uh, also, he's, he's superior to the angels because he is the eternal ruler of the universe. He's the eternal ruler of the universe. Look at him, verse 8 and 9. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God. This is what God says about his Son. God says about his Son, Your throne, O God. Do you notice that? Who he is? He's God. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He is the eternal ruler of the universe. He owns it. He's inherited it. He created it. Um, he sustains it. He rules over it. He is awesome. And he, he, he exercised that authority for all of eternity. And he exercises it in righteousness and justice. He is the sole boss of the universe, and his rule will never, ever end. Walking through this passage where we have this exalted description of who this, who this boss is who comes from heaven to earth, uh, informing us of the incomparable nature of Jesus, that as boss, he is so utterly beyond anything that we could even imagine. How great, then, is the condescension of him leaping from heaven into the womb of a virgin, of being coming into a human life, being forced out into the world to be cared for by a young mother and a stepfather who would care for him. Um, the, here is the heart of the Christian, the, the Christmas message. That Jesus leaves the splendor of glory where he is praised and honored and adored 24-7 every day. Angels worshiping and bowing before him. He left all of that in his dazzling radiance and that continuous praise in the courts of heaven to come to earth and to become 
one of us. To be born into a poor family, to find his first place that he would sleep would be in a manger. His birth would have been largely unmarked had God not sent the angels to tell lowly shepherds who came and worshipped him. This infant son, this lower than low. And when you understand how high and how exalted he was, you also understand how far he came down for us. And there's something in this that is absolutely stunning and awe-inspiring. Something that, that, that is so mysterious that we can't wrap our minds around it. How could it be that the creator of the universe is to be cuddled and cared for by a young woman that may have only been about 14 years of age? How could that be? It, it, it is just mind-boggling. This one who is the eternal ruler, the creator, the sustainer. This one who is the object of the worship of angels humbles himself to live among us just as we lived so that he could come to save us. I don't know of any more striking sense of humiliation than Jesus coming to earth as a baby. And he came for you. And he came for me. In fact, it said he came and he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wherefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the very name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Have you made that confession? Have you made that confession that that God who came to earth at Christmas, who came to become one of us and to allow himself to be brutalized and put to death and to rise from the dead so that he could save us, have you bowed before him and acknowledged Jesus Christ is Lord? I'm going to tell you, every single person that has ever lived will bow before Jesus Christ and declare whether by their own will, by their own desire, or by concession, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And my prayer is that you have received that salvation. My prayer is that that, that, that Savior who came, that you would bow before him and, and in a complete bewilderment, Wonder how he could love you so much and how he would be willing to to condescend to such a life to leave what he had in heaven just for you and for me. To be the ultimate boss. And have you given yourself to following him passionately? He is worthy. See, the undercover boss is going to come again and he's not going to come incognito. It will, he will come again and it will be so blatantly obvious who he is. And everyone will declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. See, this is the message of Christmas. And over the next three messages, we're going to explore what this means to a greater extent. But we want to start here with the ultimate boss who left and took upon the uniform of humanity to become one of us.
Someone says, Jesus came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman. He put on humanity that we might put on divinity. He became the Son of Man that we might become sons of God. He was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty. He was reared in obscurity and only once crossed the boundary of the land in which he was born, and that in his childhood. He had no wealth or influence and had neither training nor education in the world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled a king. In boyhood, he puzzled learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries in the world could not hold the books about him. He never wrote a song, yet he's furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast of as many students as he has. He's never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors have healed broken bodies. This Jesus Christ is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords, and the healer of all diseases. Throughout history, great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him. And the grave could not hold him. That is our Savior. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We bow before your Son in all of his radiance and glory in heaven, seated at your right hand. We are so grateful for all that you have done, Lord Jesus, when you condescended in in a way that is unimaginable for us from what was yours in heaven to become one of us and to allow yourself to be subjected to what you were subjected so that you could walk in our shoes, you could understand who we are, and you could reveal God to us, and you would die and be resurrected to save us from our sin, from our rebellion, from the filth in our lives, and to make us part of your family. Lord, we are so grateful Lord, Lord, when I contemplate this, I think, how can anybody who has an understanding of who Jesus is ever turn to anything else? I pray, Father, that you would help us to have a deeper appreciation and understanding of who Jesus is, that we might open our hearts to him and receive him if we haven't, and that we might faithfully and passionately follow him because he and he alone is worthy. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.